you would take your Bible tonight and turn to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. So we are still in the Psalms. <laughs> I uh, think you know I may have said from time to time that a number of years ago I was at a conference on preaching the Psalms and particularly the portion of the conference which focused on how the Psalms have been used through church history um, was enlightening to me, uh, challenging to me not just church history, but biblical history, how the Psalms have been used, certainly since they've been written. Moses being one of the first Psalm writers. We have some Psalms from Moses, at least one, possibly two. And I was, at the time, on Sunday nights, we were going through the doctrine of God. And I was thinking about the Psalms and thinking about the doctrine of God. And I thought in the course of that conference that it doesn't have to be one or the other because the Psalms are filled with the Lord. They're filled with the doctrine of God. They're filled with Christ. They're filled with testimonies of uh, the Messiah and of course minister to our souls as well. Um, someone called the Psalms, the anatomy of the soul really deals with many different things, uh, even uh, laying his testimony about uh, looking at the Psalms and maybe having questions. The psalmist had questions. They, they asked why. And uh, there it is in, in Scripture, uh, others who are asking why or asking questions of the Lord, and that in and of itself is appropriate prayer. We, we don't always think that sometimes we think we can't ask why but god's people ask why and uh praise the lord that we also have the reasoning of the psalmists as they have struggled with difficult things but then they are brought around through further meditation on god further meditation on his truth and uh I have been encouraged as we've been going through the Psalms, even through Psalm 19, at the uh, just the blessings that are here for us if we just take the time and meditate on the truth. And I, I hope even the portion that we're looking at tonight will encourage your heart looking at verses 41 down through verse 48. And I'll read down through it. We've been through portion of this. We'll go through the rest of it, Lord willing, with a little review tonight. <clears throat> Verse 41 says, may your loving kindnesses also come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your word. So I will have an answer for him who reproaches me, for I trust in your word. And do not take the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for I wait for your ordinances. So I will keep your law continually forever and ever, and I will walk at liberty, for I seek your precepts. I will also speak of your testimonies before kings and shall not be ashamed. I shall delight in your commandments, which I love. And I shall lift up my hands to your commandments, which I love. And I will meditate on your statutes. May the Lord bless the reading of his word to our hearts. The desire, the longing 
of the psalmist here in this section is for the loving kindnesses of the Lord. Not just loving kindness, singular, but loving kindnesses. You see that in verse 41. Equivalent to salvation. God acting on behalf of his child and showing his loving kindness. And what is that going to produce in his life? What is that going to do? As those loving kindnesses come. Well, verse 42, he says, I will have an answer for him who reproaches me, for I trust in your word. His experience in the answer to that prayer will give him a reply to those who are taunting him, who may be saying to him, Where is your God? And it's a wonderful thing when God shows us his loving kindness, and we have proof positive, this is what the Lord did for me, and I can share that with others and tell them this is my God and this is what he's done. In addition to that, verse 43, do not take the word of truth utterly out of my mouth. His experience of God's loving kindness will give him further opportunity to speak for God, not just a reply, but now telling others about the goodness of God, the truth of God, the faithfulness of God, and then the ordinances of God. It will also motivate his obedience. When God answers his prayer, may your loving kindnesses come to me, verse 44, in connection with that, he says, so I will keep your law continually forever and ever. One translation has it, then I will keep your law continually now and for all time or unto the age and unto the age of the age. As the Greek translation of the Old Testament would put it. So this experience of God's loving kindness is motivating his obedience. God has heard his prayer. God has shown him loving kindness and salvation. God has given him a reply for his enemies. He's given him the ability to continue to speak for God, and then also motivating his daily obedience, but not just daily, for the rest of his life and forever. This is securing his love in a greater way for the Lord as the Lord shows him that loving kindness. And then in verse 45, which is like where I'd like to begin tonight, he says, and I will walk at liberty. And do those two things coincide in your thinking, verse 44, so I will keep your law continually and I will walk at liberty? Is the law of God constricting or restricting and binding? Well, yes, in a sense it is. It's God's law. It's the path of life. It's his path for us. But it's actually a path that brings freedom. It makes things, careful, easier. When we walk according to God's will and God's path, we're not bound and enslaved to our own sin and the encumbrances that come because of sin. Listen to Proverbs 4. Hear my son and accept my sayings and the years of your life will be many. If the father in Proverbs is a biblical father, which I believe he is, he's actually instructing his 
son and the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the emphasis within the law. Fathers were to teach their children. They were to meditate in the law of God day and night so they might do it so that there would be blessing for them, for their family. And this father is saying, hear my son and accept my sayings. It's not just the sayings of a father. It's the sayings of a biblical father who is pointing to the true path of life for his child. And how could a father otherwise say the years of your life will be many? It's the child who honors their father and mother who will be blessed, who will have long years on the earth and long years in the land. How could a father promise that unless this was biblical advice and counsel? Well, it is biblical counsel. He says, I have directed you in the way of wisdom. I have led you in upright paths. See, that's righteousness. And then he says, when you walk according to these sayings, according to the way of wisdom, according to the upright paths, the father says, when you walk, you will not be impeded. There's no obstructions on that path. It's not to say it's easy. We were reading this week in Pilgrim's Progress. He had to climb the hill of difficulty. But then he says, if you run, you will not stumble. If you run in those paths. So what paths are you walking in? If you're walking in paths of sin, the way of the transgressor is hard. Sin enslaves and sin binds us. It puts obstructions in our way. And obviously, if we live in that way, it also causes others to stumble through our example. Jesus taught, remember in John chapter 8, if you continue in my word, then you truly are disciples of mine and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. Liberty. I will keep your law continually and I will walk at liberty. Jesus was speaking to those who were enslaved to their own desires. They were the children of the devil. They were doing what he wanted. And Jesus, in his teaching, of course, told them that the one who commits sin is the slave of sin. But if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed, free to walk in the path of holiness, the path of righteousness, now, we got to be careful, right? We're not expecting absolute freedom when he says, I will walk at liberty. Again, it's and I will walk at liberty. And that connection is to the previous verse, so I will keep your law. When we are freed from our enslavement to sin, God places us on a new path, and we are then free to serve Christ. We're free to serve holiness. We're free to serve righteousness we're free to serve a new master that's the teaching of romans chapter 6 thanks be to god that though you were slaves of sin you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed and having been freed from sin you became slaves of righteousness so you will be serving someone and something but there's a freedom that we have in serving the lord Paul says, I'm speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. So are you enjoying that freedom 
the freedom of obeying God's word? Are you enjoying the freedom from enslaving lusts and wicked desires? God can free you. He can and will strengthen you by his spirit. The spirit is the spirit of liberty. When the spirit of liberty leads us, we could walk in God's paths. I thought as far as an illustration of this, remember the demoniac of the Gerasenes when Jesus went into that land where this man is noted for the fact that he was in the tombs crying out. They tried to bind him. They put shackles on him and he would break them apart. Nobody could restrain him. So was he free? No, he wasn't free. He was actually indwelt by demons, enslaved to the devil and his own desires. But when Jesus came and cast out those demons, and they requested that he might cast them into the herd of pigs nearby, the swine, Jesus permitted them. The demons went out. The man is now freed. And the next thing you know, where do you see him? Sober. Clothed. In his right mind. Sitting at Jesus' feet. He's been freed. What happened to those pigs? When the demons took control of them, they were rushing down and into the sea off of a cliff, destroyed. That's what would have happened had those demons been permitted to continue to dwell in that man. So that's the end of those who are enslaved, enslaved to the devil in that man's life, a very real way. But now this man is clothed, he's in his right mind, he wants to follow Jesus. He really wants to follow Jesus. He wants to do Jesus' will. He wants to accompany Jesus with the rest of the disciples. But Jesus said, no, go home to your own people. Mark chapter 5 records and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And that man who now has freedom is now under the direction of a new master, a good master. He has the freedom to go tell everybody, here's what the Lord did for me. I will walk at liberty for I seek your precepts. God's precepts bring that liberty in our lives. Liberty from encumbrances, liberty from enslavement. Of course, the Spirit helps us as we seek the Lord. But are you enjoying that freedom? Are you enjoying that? Is there something in your life that's enslaving you or encumbering you holding you down that you really don't have to serve anymore because you do know christ you don't have to serve that lust you don't have to serve that desire not if christ has freed you with his help and by the help of the spirit by the help of the word of god you can walk at liberty now you need his help this isn't something that you can drum up the willpower to do by yourself you need god's help he saved you justified you but he is sanctifying you and as he works in your life by his spirit his spirit helps you be filled with the spirit 
scripture says. And that's certainly in connection with God's word. A spirit-filled life is a word-filled life. The spirit is the author of the word. As we read those words, meditate on those words, pray those words, seek to obey those words, God will help us. His spirit will help us. We will walk at liberty. We'll also have the freedom to speak, not just speak to those who reproach us, verse 42, and we can continue to speak the truth, verse 43, but, and not only can we be motivated in our obedience and walk at liberty, but verse 46, he says, I will also speak of your testimonies before kings and shall not be ashamed. Talk about liberty. Nothing even inside of him constricting his ability to speak. So his experience of God's loving kindness would strengthen his courage to give unashamed testimony before powerful human rulers. And we don't know exactly when David wrote this. It appears to be later in his life. God did give him grace at times through his life to speak what needed to be said, sometimes across a valley to Saul. But remember, he spent time with Achish, foreign king. He had a tough time speaking what he knew to be right in that company because he appeared to be an enemy of Israel. He certainly wasn't following the Philistine gods. But if he came out and was just open about who he was, what would have happened? He didn't have the same kind of boldness that he's talking about here. But here... David is saying that when God shows his loving kindness, he will have the boldness to tell others. The boldness to speak the truth, even when the presence of a powerful person might cause him fear and keep him from doing that. We have problems, don't we, with people of much lesser authority. less standing in society sometimes it's just an acquaintance or a friend or somebody we work with that we have trouble speaking the truth but when god shows his loving kindness when he works in our lives and gives us boldness we can then speak about him and i found it interesting just think about god's grace to people in scripture as he empowered them, as he worked in their lives, as he certainly brought them salvation, but also through his spirit was working in their lives, they have boldness to speak before rulers. Peter and the apostles before the Sanhedrin. Stephen, as he was taken and questioned and had to be on trial before the Sanhedrin, Acts chapter 7, Paul numerous times is having to give an answer in a public trial. And Paul gave testimony, at least in one place, as he talks about it, what the Lord did for him. He says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, At my first defense, no one supported me, but all deserted me. May it not be counted against them. There was nobody else with him, except, he says, but the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. So that through the proclamation, excuse me, through me, the proclamation might be fully accomplished and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was rescued out of the lion's mouth. 
he was able to literally speak of God's testimonies before kings because the Lord was with him. And if we remember that the Lord is with us, even when we preach the gospel, that's a wonderful encouragement. Remember Jesus said when he said, make disciples of all the nations? What did he say to follow that up? Lo, behold, I am with you always, always, even to the end of the age. He is with us. And when we speak for us, he emboldens us. He strengthens us to speak. And certainly the focus here in verse 46 is the testimonies of the Lord without any shame, without any fear, because it's God's testimonies. David has this confidence here that when God works in his life and shows him loving kindness, there will be an emboldening of his witness to those even in powerful positions of authority in the earth. Jesus said to his disciples in Luke chapter 21, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be earthquakes, great earthquakes, and in various places, plagues and famines, and there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all these things, they will lay their hands on you and will persecute you, delivering you to the synagogues and prisons, bringing you before kings and governors for my namesake. He says it will lead an opportunity to an opportunity for your testimony. So make up your minds not to prepare beforehand to defend yourselves, for I will give you utterance and wisdom, which none of your opponents will be able to resist or refute. And I think you see some of that in the book of Acts, but there's more coming where the Lord will strengthen his servants. This is something he'll do in the future. He did in the book of Acts. He can do for us. He can do for you. What is that circumstance or situation that's causing you fear to not speak out for Christ? I think we need to be judicious, wise as a serpent, harmless as a dove, but Christ intends for us, giving us the gospel for us to speak it. May the Lord help us to have this same confidence because of the salvation of God and beyond this passage, the spirit of God who lives within us. He empowered the witnesses and acts. We have the same spirit. He is within. And he's there for that reason, in part, to help us testify and to not be ashamed. Right? No, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. But there are, of course, in our lives, times at which we're not right with God or we may not be confident in our knowledge of the gospel or even in our relationship with God in such a way that we have that confidence and may the Lord help us to grow in boldness Paul asked for prayer about that he asked for prayer from the Ephesians that they would pray for him that he would be bold and so we shouldn't be so proud to think that we wouldn't need prayer as well and we can share those requests with one another I am thankful when we have opportunities to give testimonies that we do share those kinds of requests and we tell other Christians, our brothers and sisters, about what we're trying to do. It actually helps us when we ask for prayer and people do pray. And then we have further opportunity. We have the accountability of having told people, plus the prayers of God's people with us, so that when we get into that context again, we are supported by God's people and their prayers. And then, of course, the Holy Spirit who is with us. I'm not going to ask for a raise of hands, but is there somebody in your life like that you want to give the gospel to? Don't hesitate to ask a brother or sister in Christ, pray for me about this. 
pray for me, help me by praying for me that I would preach the gospel to those around me. Now, the last time we went through this passage, I it's a wonderful portion of this psalm altogether, but this last couple of verses, you see the heart of the psalmist here? I shall delight in your commandments, which I love. I shall lift up my hands to your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. His experience of God's loving kindness gives him further determination to delight in God's commands. God has shown his goodness. And because of that goodness, that salvation shown from God, now he delights, he desires to delight in the future. And he says, presently, I love your commandments. I will, and as you think about that verse, verse 48, when it says, I shall lift up my hands to your commandments. I don't know what you think when you see those words. Is it like this? Or is it like this? Or is it like this? You understand there could be a difference in posture based upon what's really going on in his mind. And that's one of the things that we'll just consider briefly here in a moment. But that's something that I think when you look at it, you kind of wonder, what does he mean by that? But before we get there, David is not talking in verse 47 about what he's doing. He's talking about what he will do. I shall delight. This is future. He's waiting on God. He's longing for his loving kindness. When God shows that loving kindness, he intends to make much of it. That word delight is used in this psalm three times. Verse 16, 47 here and down in verse 70. I delight in your law. It's used elsewhere in scripture. I'll just read these two passages to you. Isaiah eleven eight: the nursing child will play by the hole of the cobra and the weaned child will put his hand in the viper's den. Talking about a time in Christ's kingdom when those animals which we perceive to be dangerous and we put them in cages and we don't want them anywhere near us. Now a child will be able to delight in those creatures and play with them. Another passage, Isaiah 66, verse 12, you will be carried on the hip and fondled on the knees. Speaking again of a time of restoration in the future when God's people have a delight in those who've come to God's kingdom. And there's this image of a, a person taking a toddler and just playing with them, delighting in that child, delighting in the relationship. Now, you might like to play with snakes, right? Before that time, you like to pick them up and play with them. I think I'll wait till that time. But I think we all can understand delighting in a child and playing with a child, just the delight that there is. And a, a smile comes to our face because you can, if you can envision, maybe it's a child in this church, maybe it's your own child, maybe it's watching someone else and their delight in children but it just brings delight to her heart. But what's David talking about? What's the thing that he is going to take pleasure in that's going to bring a smile to his face and joy to his heart? It's the words of God, the commandments of God. 
does the word of God bring you joy and delight? Is it a wonderful thing to you? Do his precepts, because they are right, rejoice your heart? As Psalm 19 verse 8 says, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. I mean, just your eyes light up because it's God's word. His testimony is, I will delight. I shall delight in your commandments. But that expectation is because of a present state in his heart. I love God's commandments. Do you? You know, when God's spirit comes into the life of a person, there is a love for the word of God. I look for that when I hear someone's testimony of salvation. What happened to their relationship to the word after they professed Christ? Is there now a love for Christ? Is there a reading of his word? Is there a delight in that word? One writer said this psalm as a whole is fragrant with the love of the word. I shall delight in your commandments, which I love. Verse 47, I shall lift up my hands to your commandments, which I love. Verse 97, oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation all the day. Psalm 119, verse 113, I hate those who are double-minded, but I love your law. 119, I love your testimonies. Verse 127, I love your commandments above gold. Yes, above fine gold. 140, your word is very pure. Therefore, your servant loves it. Verse 159, consider how I love your precepts. 163, I hate and despise falsehood, but I love your law. 165, those who love your law have great peace. 167, my soul keeps your testimonies and I love them exceedingly. I love, I love, I love. There is a fragrance there, isn't there? I mean, if you read through the psalm, you get the sense this psalm, it's all about God's word. And for him not to say that would surprise us, but he is saying it multiple times. I'm just going to play on that statement. This psalm is fragrant with the love of the word. I don't know if you like candles. If you go to some stores, they have these shelves full of candles, all sorts of varieties. And when I've smelled some of them, I can't stand them. But there's certain ones that I think, okay, that smells good. And there's some that, yeah, okay, we'll let that continue to burn in our home. And, and that's fine. And it, actually, I like it. Citrus fruits. Mandarin oranges. I learned about the bergamo, which is a citrus fruit native to Italy. I didn't even know that was a fruit. I'd seen that on candles before. I didn't know what it was. Here's one description. Tropical fruits. This is a candle. Tropical fruits, sugared oranges, lemons, and limes, redolent with lightly exotic mountain greens. I mean, how can you not like that? And smell that. I mean, you walk in and you smell that. And it just fills the room. If our lives are like a candle, what is the aroma around us? What is, from a spiritual standpoint, what is emanating? What do other people sense when they're around us? Is it love? 
for God's word? Is that what's being communicated? Do people catch love for Christ? Or do they catch something else? Do they catch a love for the world? There are certainly other things that we could be about, but from the standpoint of Christian life and being a follower of Christ, when people are around us, the aroma of Christ should come from our lives. And part of that has to do with the fact that we are talking about his word. That his word, in a sense, is scattering that aroma to the lives of other people. It's certainly coming from the psalmist here. He's anticipating that it'll come again and even more as he says, I shall delight in your commandments, which I love. And verse 48 His experience of God's loving kindness would result in an affection for God's word and not just an affection, but a meditation. That's the end of this section. Notice he says, I will meditate on your statutes. So in the scriptures, if you look at people lifting up their hands, you can lift up your hand against someone for harm. There were those who lifted up their hands against David when he was king. They were trying to harm him. You can also lift up your hands towards the sanctuary as a demonstration of your faith that that is where God dwells. As someone prays in the Old Testament, Psalm 28.2, hear the voice of my supplications when I cry to you for help, when I lift up my hands toward your holy sanctuary, acknowledging God's presence there, which he said would be there. Perhaps in connection with that, when you hold out your hands looking for help, right? Not only are you acknowledging that's where God dwells on earth by his own testimony, but you're looking for help. Lord, help me. Would you please help me? I was talking to someone this week, and he said that his dog was in a cage. And at night, uh, a raccoon got in, rabbit raccoon, bit his dog's ear, and he heard all the commotion, and he came out and opened the door to the cage, and his dog came running to him, and he said, literally jumped and put its paws around him because it was so scared. Help! Now, there are times where we lift up our hands to the Lord, and we do ask for help. Why would we do that when it comes to God's commandments? Well, we need his help to obey. There's a couple other places in which you can see someone lifting up their hands. Lifting up your hands as you take an oath, Deuteronomy 32. Lifting up your hands in worship. I will lift up my hands in your name. And so as you look at all these different options and even others' explanations, I think the most helpful is really just if you take the sense here, he's delighting in God's commands, which he loves. And when he says, I shall lift up my hands to your commandments, which I love, I do think the idea is welcoming them. Welcome. Yes, I do need help and I can cry out for help, but I welcome them. I love them. I want them. Bring bring more. Teach me more. 
Help me to obey. Lord, I this is so good. Some of us do that at the table, right? Our mouth is full and we're going, you know, come on, I want some more. But here it's God's word. It's his commandments. He is eager with affection and love, ready to receive God's commandments. Why? Because God has shown him his loving kindness and his salvation. And he just wants more of this great God who is so good. So can I ask you tonight, do you love God's law? Do you hunger and thirst for righteousness? Are you able to pray with any measure of strength because of that delight? And then could I ask you, how often do you find yourself reading God's word? How often do you find yourself meditating on God's word? How often do you find yourself talking about God's word, sharing it with others? How often do you find yourself sorrowful when you disobey it? How often do you resort to it during the day? How often do its consolations encourage you? This is not really meant to make us all feel guilty. It's really to urge us towards the word. It is so good. And even the warnings of scripture, as you learn those warnings and they're giving you guidance about what to avoid in your life, you come to love those because they point you away from what is harmful for yourself and others. I've been reading a book by Thomas Brooks, Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices, and I just it just keeps me going because he continues to talk about principles from the word of God. It's so good. That love for God's word will produce. David has that anticipation, verse 48, of meditation. Meditation. And I will, not only will I welcome your commandments, which I love, but I will meditate on your statutes. Charles Bridges said in his exposition of Psalm 119, why then is the Bible read only, not meditated on you find yourself doing that sometimes you read it but you don't necessarily think about it afterwards he says because it's not loved we do not go to it as the hungry man to his food as the miser to his treasure the loss is incalculable our superficial knowledge has no practical in influence it is only as we search that we know it for our good let it then be a matter of daily inquiry does my reading of the word of god furnish food for my soul matter for prayer direction for conduct scriptural study when entered in upon in a prayerful spirit will never like many other studies be unproductive the mind that is engaged in it is fitly set for bearing fruit it will bring forth fruit in due season. Meditation kindles love as, as uh, it is the effect of love. While I was musing, scripture says, the fire burned. So this reminds us that the word of God is not just to be read in a way where we can say, 
Yeah, I read the Bible. Check it off the list. It's like a love letter from the Lord to us. Is that how you would read a letter addressed to you? With statements of love and affection and consolation, you just read it because you have to? Read it to check it off the list? No. And it does help to remember that this, these words do come from a person. They come from the triune God, all three persons. And you read them in a personal way. As you meditate, you read for understanding and you meditate on those things. It's at those times when we meditate that that sweetness and that wonder is deepened. And of course, the Holy Spirit can, in the process of our meditation, teach us even more. And you can pray for that. I want to encourage you to pray for that, that God would teach you not just as you read, but then as you read and understand, and then as you meditate in God's word. The Lord really is gracious, isn't he, to give us those who have walked in paths of righteousness before us. And who show us the way. This is the way of God's word. Help, help us Lord to walk in it. I hope that's our prayer. Let's pray. Father in heaven we bow tonight. We thank you for the word of God. How precious it is. And we Lord if we truly are filled with your spirit. We do confess Lord that we love it. We pray that we might grow in our love for it. Even this week, Lord, we pray that we might mind the depths. That you'd give us something this week new to understand or some old truth that you bring back to our hearts with renewed force as we meditate on your word. Lord, your word is a consolation to us. It is sweeter than honey in the honeycomb. It is also a hammer and a fire. And if that is what our heart needs tonight, Lord, your word is powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. Use your word how you see fit in each of our lives. And grant us grace, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.